I refer to everybody as chef because it's a sign of respect. Hey, Chris Garlock here. That was a clip from The Bear, one of my favorite laborific TV shows last year. On today's episode of Labor Goes to the Movies, we check in with actor Harold Phillips for a preview of Sunday's Screen Actors Guild Awards, which recognize and reward the year's best performances in movies and television. They'll be streaming live this Sunday on the Netflix YouTube channel starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. SAG-AFTRA is the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. It's an American labor union that represents about 160,000 film and television actors, journalists, and radio personalities. I got to know Harold a few years ago through his podcast work. He's been part of the core group coordinating the Labor Radio Podcast Network. But his main gig is as an actor working professionally in theater, film, and television for over 30 years. Our conversation today not only highlights films and performances that lifted up worker issues, but we also get into the ongoing debates over racism, sexism, and representation in the arts. We see these stories time and time again, right, where there's a female-led movie that just goes bananas at the at the box office and everybody says oh yeah it's the year of the woman all right now everybody's going to have all these women in in leadership roles and then the next year a couple of movies with female directors or big female casts they don't do quite as well and it immediately goes back to exactly the way it was before you're not seeing people of color you're not seeing women so there is a real pendulum swing that happens there. We started out by asking Harold to remind us about the labor origins of the Screen Actors Guild and the Oscars. Yes, there was this movement in Hollywood to create a union for the actors that eventually became the Screen Actors Guild. And as a way to fight that, the studios decided that they were going to start handing out these prestigious awards. It's kind of like how Starbucks decides to all of a sudden start offering benefits and raises when they hear that there's a union election, but on a slightly larger and more glamorous scale. Well, except that, I mean, I mean, Starbucks is actually giving, I mean, I mean, and I'm not defending them and saying, but they're giving them, you know, benefits and raises and, 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 and your folks were getting a statuette. Not just a statuette, but uh, recognition. I think it's important ah, to realize ah. that, Back in the 30s, when the Oscars were originally, um, I think it was uh, like the 30s when they started, that was the days of the contract system. And so it didn't matter if you were a big star like Gary Cooper or some lowly actor who had two lines every couple of weeks in a B movie you were still basically bound by that contract and you had to do what the studio said and you couldn't do what they didn't say in the case of some people who uh, were lgbtq for instance or wanted to get involved in social justice movements and that sort of thing so by giving them this prestige it actually gave them the implication that well, again, just like today, we're all family here, <laughs> right? We really value you. It's a very expensive pizza party, the Academy Awards, at least when they initially started. Nowadays, I'm sure it's it's much more um, egalitarian. 
Right. And actually, it's right. interesting. Uh, it was 19, I think the first ones were 1930 because the, I think the Academy Award winner was the jazz singer, um, which was, of course, the first talkie. And, but most of the other winners were silence. But then the next year, the next year, they were all talkies, obviously. Yeah, it really swept the industry. And actually, that's one of the, uh, one of the movies nominated for a SAG Award this year is Babylon with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. And it's all about that era. It's kind of the flip side of Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain is a very happy-go-lucky kind of fun musical about that transition from silent films into talkies. And Babylon is not. <laughs> it's not It's not particularly happy-go-lucky. In fact, not to spoil it for anybody, but at the end, one of the characters goes to see Singing in the Rain in the theater, and he cries because the real stuff that they went through was so much more intense than the way it was being portrayed in that great movie with Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor. Which I haven't seen in so many years, I'll have to see it again. All right, uh, Elise Bryant, uh, my co-host, is joining us from the road uh, in the airport. Which airport is it, Elise? Chicago Midway. Chicago Midway. All right. All right. That's how dedicated that's how dedicated she's she's found a quiet corner at Chicago Midway so she can she can be, she can be with us, right? <laughs> yes. Well, that's the great thing about uh, doing a show like this though, Chris, is we don't have to be in the same studio. I mean, you can be in Washington DC, Elise can be in Chicago, I can be in Bellingham, Washington, and we can all get together for something like this. Although before we go on, we have to say, uh, at least Harold just shared with me, he and his family are coming to D.C. Uh, this this fall. So I think we're going to have to arrange, uh, in, in addition to sort of you know showing you some of the labor sites, um, we'll have to get together and watch some movies together. Ah, <laughs> uh, geez, don't don't tell people where I'm going to be, man. Uh, you know, that, that, that could get all kinds of weird. You still in the witness protection program? Yeah, all right. totally. All right. All right, we're talking, we're talking about the SAG Awards, which is one of the... Um, the lead up, uh, there's a whole bunch of award shows as, as sort of early indicators, uh, sometimes, not always, uh, but of, you know, how, how things are going. So you're going to sort of share with us some picks of the more laborific, uh, you know, titles that you found. And I think we've seen some of them, but not all of them. Yeah, um, if not laborific, at least definitely working class influenced, uh, working class focused, right? Um, the last time we got together to talk about the SAG Award nominees, there were a ton of films and television shows that were focused on these working class issues, and we, we had a lot to talk about. This year, um, I have to say, that trend seems to have reversed pretty dramatically. It's not that there aren't shows and movies that are focused on working class issues, but a lot of our nominees this year are very much focused on the upper class, whether you're talking about um, the uh, the dropout that's focused on uh, Elizabeth Holmes and her magic blood test that she got convicted of, uh, of uh, using as a scam, um, whether we're talking about... Uh, the Marilyn Monroe movie, Blonde, or Elvis, and you've already had somebody on your show to talk about 
those two movies yeah. the fact that they both started in the working class and kind of shot up into fame um there's a lot though babylon like i mentioned before uh the fablemans which arguably could be considered a working class story it's about a young man who wants to become a film director um his name isn't Schmieven Schmielberg, but it could be. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that, that's perhaps not as upper class focused. Um, but then you get into things that just aren't really focused on working people. Um, George and Tammy about George Jones and Tammy Wynette inventing Anna about this woman who scammed a bunch of society people and convinced them that she was an heiress, uh, that sort of thing. But with that said, there are definitely some working class shows and movies in this year's crop that I think deserve a little attention. The SAG Awards can be an indicator of uh, other awards that are given out during award season including that most prestigious award that we were talking about earlier whether that makes the show or not the academy award and that has been the case in the recent past um i think it's important to remember though that these awards are different than a lot of the other awards that are handed out during award season because how so, how so? they're not handed out by the industry or by journalists or by um, a jury at a festival they're handed out by union members to union members this is perhaps the biggest most widely viewed union awards show in the world the SAG Awards. Uh, in fact, I used to say it was the only televised Union Awards show, but it's not It's not actually going to be on television this year because SAG-AFTRA, my union, is looking to the future and the fact that a lot of people don't watch television. They watch streaming channels. They watch YouTube. And so they're taking the SAG Awards to Netflix next year. Wow. This year, it's wow. going to be on Netflix's YouTube channel because they're still working out the particulars of getting it all put into the live stream on the Netflix platform. That's amazing. Well, it's just an indication of how things have changed. And we were talking earlier about the transition from silent films to talkies. This is just another example of how our industry has to change with new technology. And one of the ways we do that is by bringing performances and events like the SAG Awards into these new venues. Well, let's let's uh, talk about that for just a second, because one of the things um, that, you know, there's the Oscars so white, uh, you know, th uh, thing that happened a couple of years ago, and then there was a, a lot of changes. Um, you know, they, they, they diversified um, the, the, you know, the, well, no, so folks can't see he's, uh, he's, he's, diversified in air quotes i should say i mean they they were making an effort to diversify they uh did. the and, and and also frankly to back out some of the folks i think the new rule was you know if you hadn't done anything in like seven years because you, you had a lot of you know folks who were voting frankly probably old white probably mostly guys <laughs> you know so two things can you just talk a little bit about 
the 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 uh, decision process for the Oscars because I don't think that everybody knows and there's a controversy this year because no black actresses and at least jump in any time here but no black actresses and there are some very strong contenders uh, and I don't know whether they've gotten SAG nods uh, but no black actresses have gotten an Oscar nomination um, and and there's a, a and I'm, I'm forgetting but there's a woman an actress in a very small film which apparently nobody's seen but she mounted a very effective word of mouth campaign among mm -hmm. A-listers and she's gotten an Academy Award. So that whole yep. Oscar so white thing has come back up. And again, at least jump in any time on this. You know, I want to say something really silly, but I'm going to hold off. No, no, go for it. Come on now. You know? <laughs> I like <laughs> the silly. Yeah, we like the no, silly. No, well, I, I, I feel like the Oscars really felt like they took care of business and then Will Smith ruined the whole thing by slapping <laughs> <laughs> that's not silly and they didn't and they didn't have to feel like we don't have to do anything more for black folks anymore we've taken care of it okay it's over it's done oh, well I, I, to, to be fair though <laughs> this is this is the way that the entertainment industry often looks at things right because it's important to realize the oscars that's an industry award it reflects the entertainment industry writ large and we see these stories time and time again right where there's a female-led movie that just goes bananas at the at the box office and everybody says oh yeah it's the year of the woman all right now everybody's gonna have all these women in in leadership roles and then the next year a couple of movies with female directors or big female casts they don't do quite as well and it immediately goes back to exactly the way it was before you're not seeing people of color you're not seeing women so there is a real pendulum swing that happens there and i think elise's comment uh, while i don't have any indication that that may be what's going on there there, there could be some truth there I will say, though, um, I do think that that's one of the big differences between the SAG Awards and the Oscars is when you're talking about who votes for the nominees for the SAG Awards, it's not studio heads. It's not people who are looking at the bottom line. I'm not going to say that there aren't campaigns to try and get those nominations in there. But the people who are doing the nominations are working class members of SAG-AFTRA. They're the people who get up and go to set, who hustle to get auditions, who work long hours in front of the camera, and they have a different view of the, the people who should be nominated for those awards, I think, than some of the broader members of the Academy might. I think another thing to remember about the SAG Awards is that the SAG Awards only offers awards for performance. They're not offering awards for costumes or directing. We're looking at categories like best male actor in a lead role, best female actor in a lead role, in a supporting role for the different kind of stuff. And so that's what these people on the nominating committee are really looking at. It can be a movie that you don't particularly like. And there were a couple this season I did not particularly like. But the work that the performers are doing in front of the camera is extraordinary and should be recognized. And that's really 
the litmus test, I think, for the SAG Awards as opposed to the Oscars, the Emmy, where there may be other considerations that are taken into account. So I just want to be real clear. So so who who actually votes? So, you know, she said talk about a nominating committee for the SAG Awards. So who who is that nominating committee? And then who is on? Because I know there are certain people that are on the um, the Motion Picture Academy or whatever their name is, the people who vote on the Oscars. So who are those two different groups? Well, I think the structure is is somewhat similar. Now, I'm not a member of the Academy, so I've never I've never voted in the Oscars, but uh, I believe that there is a smaller portion of the Academy of Motion Picture and Television, Motion Picture, the Academy, um, who who is put into a committee to assess who should be nominated for awards, and then that list is put out to the broader membership to vote on. SAG Awards are very similar. A small portion of the membership of SAG-AFTRA, my union, is put onto a nominating committee. They they volunteer. And I've been on the nominating committee. Let me tell you, it's a lot of work as opposed to watching, what, about 30 films and TV in a short period of time. You have to watch literally hundreds in order to pare that list down to that 30. And then once that list is put together, then that gets sent out to the entire membership of SAG-AFTRA who are in good standing. And those members like myself have about a month to watch all the nominees and to get our votes in for who should win the actor, the award at the SAG Awards. So, so just to be clear, so after this nominating committee does their work and winnows it down to that 30, that goes out to every dues-paying SAG-AFTRA member? Every is... member in good standing, that's right. And that could be someone who is a background performer, um, who you just see in the background of the restaurant while the leads are having their scene, or that could be a big star. Will Smith, Tom Hanks, you name them, they all have the opportunity to vote for these awards. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. It is one of the uh, benefits of membership, actually, is being able to vote in the SAG Awards. And people can laugh about that, right? But it reminds those of us in the union that we're all peers. No matter what we do as a member of SAG-AFTRA, we're doing the same work as Tom Cruise, as Jeff Bridges. And that's an important reminder to get every year, especially as we hustle and, and we audition and we hope we book the job, but more often than not, we don't. We're still doing the same stuff they're doing. That's so democratic. I, I like Elise. I had no idea. Elise, any other questions or comments on that? No, I'm still mulling it over. Although, <laughs> I mean, one of the things that occurred to me as I was listening was that, you know, thinking about the Oscars and the color purple, for instance, Whoopi Goldberg did an outstanding job and she's a comedian that wasn't really her strong suit right got got completely ignored but jennifer hudson who i saw being paraded around and i don't even watch the news very often but every time i looked up she was with the uh, the producer of of dream girls and it was jennifer hudson jennifer hudson i thought they're gonna give her the oscar she did a fine job but jennifer hudson is not an actress yeah well you are Speaking to the struggle of every SAG member, SAG after a member, sorry, um, who is voting in these awards, right? 
we watch the awards shows and we see who wins the awards and we think to ourselves, ah, how could they have given it to that person? Or I would have chosen this person. I have a new respect for the people who vote in those awards because it can be really hard. I mean, let's just look, I'm gonna pick a category at random here. Let's look at the outstanding performance by a female actor in a lead role. You've got Kate Blanchett, Viola Davis, Anna de Armas, Daniel Deadweiler, Michelle Yeoh. Who's the best? Go. Oh my God. Oh, gun right? to the head, gun to the head. Okay. It's, Elise, it's, Elise, Elise it's you vote. What's hard. your pick? What's your pick, Elise? <laughs> I'm here. That is so hard. Right? It's really, really, really hard. It's, I mean, you know, really. you read these, you read these stories every year about snubs and people being shut out. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But the reality is, it's very hard to pick the top performances when you have people who are bringing their A game in these things. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we really have a hard time every year when we vote. Well, and you're talking, at least in this case, that we're talking about is two women warrior characters versus um, uh, a woman conductor who was also happened to be like a perpetrator. <laughs> like, oh, wait. <laughs> well, and I'm just going to throw in Danielle Dead Deadweiler there, who plays M Mamie Till. She's a warrior as well. Right. Maybe not right, right, the same right. kind of warrior, but she's yeah, definitely gotcha. a warrior. Well, gotcha. Well, I mean, isn't, isn't there like an all of the above option? I mean, <laughs> Boy, can't, I we all be, can't we all be friends? <laughs> yeah, this is the thing about the awards. You know, for somebody to win, four other people have to lose, right? So, let me ask you a technical question here, and well, probably you and Elise know this, you know, being in the biz, but but I don't. And one of the things I've wondered, <clears throat> um, there's these categories, and I forget the category that you just said. What was it, what was the name of that category? Uh, the official name is outstanding performance by a female actor in a leading role. Okay, but there, but then, then there's probably another another uh, award for another pr probably female. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so, give me an example of that. Uh, that would be um, outstanding performance by a female actor in a supporting role. So what's the difference between leading and supporting? Oh, yeah, that's another one of those really gray areas, right? Um, I think in general, we look at the lead in a project as the person who is in the majority of the project they have the most lines you see their face the most um in business terms they're often the name that you see at the top of the poster as opposed to the one that you see down at the bottom but in many cases those people who are nominated in the supporting role could have as good if not better performances than the people who we tend to call the leads that's that's what I that's why I raised it because that's why I found confusing. I'll look at these lists and I'm thinking, okay, I kind of see why that person might be supporting, but I could also see an argument. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but I, 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 I if they've been nominated for lead, I've been like, oh, okay, I get that too. So, I guess my point is is and and your point is is a lot of this is squishy, it's judgment, it's tough. And and Elise, again, jump in anytime here because I, I know you have things to say. <laughs> well, I think didn't that happen to Viola Davis last year? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Uh huh. 
But specifically, you're talking about. Um... She was in a leading role, I thought, but she came. They put her in as supporting actress, best supporting actress. Am I, did I did I get that reversed? It was. It no, was. I, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I remember. Um, I remember the situation. Uh, you know, this year, a perfect example of that is uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes, which yes. is a real oh, ensemble yeah. cast. Right. Yes. Everybody kind of has equal stature. And mm -hmm. I think in some ways it may have been the choice of the committee to say we need to recognize all of these great performances, but we can't have a category that's just five people from everywhere, <laughs> everything, everywhere, all at once. So why not? It's everything, everywhere, all at once. That's the name of them. Yeah. Everything. So, I mean, Bagel. They, they 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 probably put some into that supporting category just so they could leave some some more room in the category for some other projects. Now I, I don't have any inside information as to that actually happening, but it's it's a thought. So hard. So it is. so it's hard. really hard to try and rank these performances, which are in and of themselves really subjective. I mean, I can sit next to somebody and think that that's the most moving thing in the world. And the person next to me goes, well, that was boring, you know? Well, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get uh, Elise started, but she and I went off on a, on a rant together on, on, uh, on tar um, for, for a number of reasons, <laughs> which we're not going to get into here. Oh, um, I just watched it last night, man. All two hours and 38 minutes. Which you're it. never getting back. <laughs> I mean, we have we have issues. We have issues, and I'll leave it to at least you go ahead. I mean, go ahead and, and raise the issues, but but then I want to talk about the, a different part of it. Go ahead, Elise. About Tar. About what you, what you, what your issues are with with Kate Blanchett as the you know. Well, I think that I I, I was when I was going along with it, even though it was bothering me, uh, assuming that it was based on a true story. But once I found out that it wasn't the truth, that it was totally fictionalized, I thought, why did they make these choices? Because now it's a choice. It's not like what happened in someone's life. So we get this woman, outstanding female conductor, who is you know, the Harvey Weinstein of the, the concert world. And it's just like, really? That's the story you want to put out there? And, and Kate is doing this immaculate job, right? I mean, she looks immaculate. She's got these fabulous suits on that I've never seen anybody, female conductor, much less, but most average women in. And so it's like really interesting that that's the story they chose to tell and and put it out there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, interesting choices all the way around. Um, I have to agree that uh, Kate is amazing in that um, and and from an actor's perspective as well, the journey that she takes is surprisingly gripping all two hours and 38 minutes of it. <laughs> you weren't timing it, were you? <laughs> no, he wasn't counting. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a really complicated film. I, I guess I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, if there's one thing you can say, there was something for everybody to talk about there, whether they liked it or they didn't like. And maybe that's the success is that nobody looked at that and went, eh, who cares? Everybody had an opinion. I thought one of the interesting things when, when Elise and I were talking about it was that, you know, we both had the same 
problem. And I, I, I was mentioning, you know, uh, uh, bad bosses, bad bosses and bad bosses too, which, you know, as a labor guy, I'm like, I want to show that in the labor film festival. But, you know, the bad boss is Jennifer Aniston. Really? Really? You're going to make two movies about bad bosses and you and, and Jennifer Aniston is going to be the bad boss. It's like, again, like Lee says, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, I haven't done the numbers. Elise is president of the Coalition of Labor Union Women could probably tell me. But I mean, you know, the number of female bosses is, I believe, a smaller number by a magnitude of something than the number of male bosses. So why you got to make two big Hollywood pictures about bad female bosses? That said, you know, Kate Blanchett knocked it out of the park as an actress. So you voting on this, I think, would have a hard time. But I'm, I'm looking at all those other things. I'm like, sorry, white girl. No way. <laughs> That's just me. I think it started with The Devil Wears Prada. But that was a true story. To your point, that was a okay, true that, story. That, that, you're right. So, you're right. You know, you can't right. just change it to some male it's editor. True. You know? It's true. It's true. But well, no, I think it's, it's it's the bitch boss that they that if they're going to show women as, as a as a as a, in a management top position, she is always a bitch. You can say bitch. Actually, it's a podcast. Well, then yeah. if I say bitch, then I say you know, being in total <laughs> control of your, herself. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do think anyway. there is something to that whole man bites dog view of things. You're right. The majority of the bosses out there are male. And so if a male boss is a bad boss, people go, yeah, and? If a female boss is a bad boss because they are in the minority, uh, maybe that makes it more interesting. But I, I absolutely hear your point. And uh, yeah, it's not it's not indicative of the majority at all it's just annoying it just really I'm, I'm speaking speaking as a labor film festival programmer i'm just like you know if i show that movie i have to come and have a lease introduce and put that shit in context you know? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we get jennifer aniston to come and defend it i don't know all right and what, what was the one with emma thompson where she was the bad boss oh an indian american uh young woman who was the um yeah 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 the novice uh, uh, yes actually oh she uh, the the that was the late night show right where emma thompson was a late night yeah. host. Yep. yes yep. yes 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 that's it you're good you get the synapse award i know right <laughs> yeah i actually like that movie all right so harold give us your uh give us your short list of the uh you know the films that, that in the sag awards that you think uh, folks should be and and also like we'll do it at the end you can tell folks you know when the show is um uh but uh, what are what are some of the things that you've picked out as laborific or or about working folks well like i say i think i think there are some honorable mentions okay to be made uh particularly the fablements now that's a that's an autobiographical film about steven spielberg and how he decided to become a director right that doesn't seem particularly working class mm. But Steven Spielberg did not grow up rich. Steven Spielberg grew up pretty middle class. His dad uh, helped to build computers for IBM. and He lived in Arizona when he moved. And you don't really see a lot of trappings of the upper class as he's finding his passion and deciding that this is what he wants to do. He's a pretty middle class guy. Um, so I think I think that's one that would be a bit of a surprise. The other one is a film that we were talking about a little while ago, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, 
Now, that does not seem like a working class movie. It's got uh, the kung fu moves and it's all about the multiverse and that sort of thing. But you look at who Michelle Yeoh's character is. She's a woman who owns a laundry and she's dealing with taxes and this interesting um, tax auditor played by Jamie Lee Curtis, who is also an amazing performance in that film i loved her i loved her i sat i sat i sat next to it we watched it together at afi i can vouch for we we were we were loving it eating it up with a spoon just fabulous so you know the the big moment in that film for a lot of us was not the everything babel was not the fight scenes it was that beautiful scene where she and her husband are in another universe and they're both rich and they're not working class and they meet in an alley and the husband says i would have loved to have done laundry and taxes with you right i mean it, it really does kind of typify the beauty of the life that a lot of us live even though it's drudgery and we hate it there's also a romance to it so I think I think it's it's kind of a sneaky working class movie, even if it's not on top. But um, when it comes to the movie categories this year, like I was saying before, there's there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of working class oriented stuff on television. That's another story. And of course, we have to talk about Abbott Elementary. Abbott Elementary is. Uh, it's a mockumentary comedy about teachers in an inner, I don't know, do we say inner city school in Philadelphia? Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a Philadelphia urban, school. Urban. An urban school. There we go. Um, and the struggles that they have and finding the comedy in that. Uh, one, of the, one of the great moments in a couple of the episodes I watched was when the janitor came into the teacher's lounge and uh, asked who has a beat up sedan and all the teachers raised their hands. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really, it's kind of hard to get more working class than Abbott elementary. I, I would agree. I actually, I just, I, I started watching uh, that show. I heard the actress um, interviewed on, on, uh, and, and really was interested. I, I'm a little disappointed because I, I I think probably teachers really like it because I think it really, at least from what I understand, it it, it does seem fairly, um, you know, honest to that. I I just it it, it I'm often reminded that it is a sitcom, right? And so, you know, there are limitations to that format because I always find myself wanting it to be more working class and more about the, about, and I'm sure she has a union, for example. I don't think I've heard them talk about it at all, right? Um, no. Yeah, and, and you know, and I always get frustrated when you have a show which is working class, but they've got to throw in all the romantic stuff, entanglements, you know, because that's sort of one of the things they do in, in sitcoms. But um, I wanted to talk because one of the other nominees, I'm sure you were going to get to it, is it's like my favorite show. And I'm, I can't wait for the next season, The Bear. I mean, you cannot get more, you know, work. Oh, know. yes. Yeah. And you want to talk about um, an intense half hour. I'm always amazed that it's only a half hour when the show comes to an end. 
It is packed. Yeah, and it's packed with stuff that anybody who's ever worked in the restaurant industry can relate we, all, to. All three of us have. <laughs> I mean, this is a story about uh, a chef who basically goes back to Chicago to run his family's restaurant. And it's this little hole-in-the-wall place that does Italian beef sandwiches. And he's got his own struggles with uh, going small from where he was at, uh, you know, the big restaurants in the world and that sort of thing. But the real story is about the interaction of the people who work in the kitchen. And these are people who take the bus for a living at 4.30 in the morning and they're there till 10 at night and they're just working all the time next to each other and dealing with each other and knowing that they have to get the product out it's uh it's a very very intense and also funny show well and and the thing uh the other thing that i just love about about this particular show and again as somebody who had done a lot of work in restaurants and they really get it right you know most of the time these shows about restaurants you know especially because of all the stardom of chefs they chef it up it's all really clean and, and the the kitchens are enormous the amount of room right. that they have this in is those tiny and, and they often have the camera down on the floor where it's grimy and dirty but the other thing that that to me from our point of view is that you know he's trying to bring what's called the brigade, uh, you know, a way of working. It's a very regimented, you know, the things where they say, yes, you know, you say something, they say, yes, chef, which does not happen at a, at a, at a pit beef place. Okay. That's just not going to work. Um, and he's trying to impose this order. Now this place, let's admit it does need some order. It's, it's a bit loosey goosey. It's probably why it was failing. Um, but he's trying to impose this hierarchical, boss worker kind of a thing even though he's in there working like everybody else and there's a there's a lot of dramatic tension mm-hmm. that the show really minds i thought in a really in a, in a real way it felt you know, you could see the need for order but trying to impose that onto this thing which although dysfunctional functioned right yeah and i'll add to that that a big a big theme in the show is that resistance to change right both in terms of the workers in the kitchen and in terms of uh, the people looking at how their neighborhood is changing looking at how chicago is changing this is a place that's been around for years and years and years it's a neighborhood staple well the neighborhood is changing in a lot of ways from the way it was when it first started and i think that's reflected both in the front of house and in the kitchen as well so yeah it's it's a lot of it's a lot of dramatic tension about that stuff and least, it, but it's it gotta be said it's a fun show my observation uh, thinking about the bear and the other shows is that i find that the that the productions and the television shows that have been coming out since since streaming started netflix and hbo i think the acting is better i mean i think they find people they find actors who are like regular folk, you know, who clearly can act, but are, I, I can relate to them. I feel like that, they, that's my people. And I felt that way about the bear show. I felt like, oh yeah, I know that. I was in that kitchen. Oh God, you know, and the different characters. And I, and I, maybe, is that just me? But it really feels like the quality of the acting and television shows have improved because of that. Yeah, I'd say that, uh, you know, it's been said many times before, we're in a golden age of television. 
And a lot of that is because of the competition that streaming represents, right? So you have these companies, Netflix, Amazon, that will just throw money at things. They're, they're not necessarily as conservative as network television that's worried about what's going to sell with the advertisers, what's going to offend this particular demographic. The streaming services are just like, ah, sure, you got this show? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll give you some money. Uh, at least that's how it's been. And they're actually starting to pull back from that a little bit. The bear is on FX. And FX has always been kind of leading edge in terms of basic cable channels and uh, now streaming, they've got a partnership with Hulu. They've been really interested in telling stories that you don't see on network television. And in a lot of ways, I've heard it said that the streaming channels have actually been following FX when it comes to the kind of stories that they're putting out there in front of people. So yeah, we're I living in- that. I can see that, yeah. We're living in a great age where we're not just seeing the same old stuff churned out by Hollywood. Uh, we're seeing a lot of new voices. We're seeing a lot of stories that a lot of people can relate to who didn't used to see themselves on the screen. And it's really exciting. So just two more before we wrap up. You had mentioned The Dropout, which frankly I have not seen. Now I'll have to go watch it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I don't, I don't know it. Yeah, yeah. Um... So some people may remember the news story, um, I guess it was late last year, about Elizabeth Holmes, who founded a company called Theranos. And the promise of this company was that a single blood test, a little drop of blood, could screen for all of these different diseases. And it ended up being a scam and she defrauded her investors and uh, I believe she is now in jail <laughs> as a result but uh, it's it's a An great... another bad boss by the way just saying yeah <laughs> and to a certain extent um, she gets that way she starts out in the series very sort of wide-eyed and wanting to change the world and as the pressures to perform for the investors come in she gets worse and worse and worse as a boss um yeah you know it's it's a very interesting story um from the inside of what you may have seen on the news amanda Seyfried does does a wonderful job as holmes uh, but it's it's definitely worth watching um the one i really want to talk about before we close though the big worker series of the year in my opinion drum roll drum roll is a little show called Severance. Ah, oh, hit TV. me. I have not seen this. I, I just got Apple TV and I have not explored it. I'm all over Hulu, but I have not gotten into Apple TV. I'm coming over, Chris. I'm coming over. I got over. my big screen. I got I gotta tell you, Harold, <laughs> I got my birthday present to myself this year. I got a 55-inch TV. It's my first TV in like 20 years. And I am, I don't know if I'm ever going out. No, that's not true. We went out to AFI. <laughs> And it's not the same, but I got to tell you, my 55 incher with the, I got the little sound, the sound thing. I am loving it. I can, I can see stuff that I can never see before. Man, I'm someone who loves movies as much as you do. And, and you were, you were looking at this little RCA 32 inch. Uh... Yeah, it wasn't quite that bad, but uh, you know. Yeah. Severance is um, it's every worker's nightmare and it's every boss's dream in a lot of ways. Really? 
So it's a little sci-fi, but imagine a world where they can do an operation on your brain. And when you walk into work, you suddenly become a different person who doesn't know anything about what happens outside the office. Oh my God. You're severed from that person. And then when you leave work, well, you don't know what happened during the day. You have no idea what you do for a living. As one of the characters said, you could be murdering people and you wouldn't have any clue. (laughs) You just go home and uh, collect your paycheck. And meanwhile, the any, as they call them, the person who's in the office, not only do they have no idea what's going on outside the office, they never sleep. They never go home. They never have a break. They basically walk to the elevator and then they walk back into the office. It's a constant churn of being at work. And like I say, it's it's pretty nightmarish. <laughs> it's, it's pretty horrible. You're freaking me out, man. How these characters deal with that reality is... Um, well, it's it's interesting. You, you got a lot of different types. And uh, there is a romance. It's not between the characters that you think it is. But if you have thought about how bad your work life is, take a look at Severance and uh, don't tell yourself it's not that bad. Tell yourself, thank God it's not there yet. All right. All right. I got uh, another one to add to my list to watch, and Elise will be coming over. We'll check lots of room on the couch. Uh, Elise, we're going to wrap up. Any final thoughts or comments from you? I really love this conversation. And I look forward to the next one. <laughs> well, yeah. we got a standing date. This happens every year, and next year it's going to be on Netflix streaming. Power to the people, baby. Power to the people. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, real quick, uh, remind folks when when's the SAG after show? Yes, uh, the SAG Awards are on Sunday, February 26th. Yeah, it's Sunday. Sunday. That's it. Well, it's this Sunday, but it's also a podcast, and you never know when people are listening to this thing. So it's Sunday, February 26th, and depending on your time zone, uh, it's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern or 5 p.m. Pacific. And you say it's streaming, I guess? It's streaming on the Netflix YouTube channel. So at 8 p.m. Eastern, if you load up YouTube and you go to Netflix, you're going to see the SAG Award come up as a live stream. I did not know that that such a thing existed. So if for nothing else, although I'm with Elise and I love these conversations, I always learn something. And it's just, to me, it's so cool to talk to a working actor and get that perspective. But I did not know that there was such a thing as a Netflix YouTube channel. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, and it's very recent that Netflix started live streaming. Uh, they did it with comedy shows recently. Yeah. And now they're going to start doing a lot more live programming as opposed to just going to Netflix and looking looking through the library of things that's pre-recorded. So brave new world. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you, Harold. Wonderful chatting. And uh, we'll see you next time. Always a pleasure. All right. Now, speaking of working actor, I got to go finish my script for this MC gig that I'm doing. So, all right. Thanks guys. I've been trying the new sandwiches. Yo, this shit looks different. What do you think? It's redundant and white, just like you. (laughs) 